ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another episode of Straight Talking English. I am your host as ever, Catherine, SDR8. Talk English on Twitter, straighttalkingenglish.co.uk. If you go to my website, you can listen to all of my podcasts. You can check out some of my YouTube context videos. They are really, really good. And you can buy my books. We have six books available. The full context behind Jekyll and Hyde, Christmas Carol, Sign of Four, Of Mice and Men. And I'm struggling to remember this, both sides of uh, AQA poetry. Pretty exciting. I know. So as I've been explaining every episode of this mini season, over summer I take a bit of a hiatus from regular programming, give my brain a little bit of a rest, and I take the time to answer some questions from listeners. We all have burning questions about literature and luckily some of them I can answer. So today's question is from Barbara. She lives in Brussels and she would like to know, why do we need to consider intersectionality? in female representations in books. What? What an interesting question. I really enjoyed answering that. Let's work out what intersectionality is first. According to YW Boston, which is an American anti-racism charity, intersectionality is a framework for conceptualizing a person, group of people, or social problem as affected by a number of discriminations and disadvantages. It takes into account people's overlapping identities and experiences in order to understand the complexity of prejudices they face. In other words, intersectional theory asserts that people are often disadvantaged by multiple sources of oppression, their race, class, gender identity, sexual orientation, religion and other identity markers. Intersectionality recognises that identity markers like woman or black do not exist independently of each other and that each informs the others, often creating a complex convergence of oppression. For instance, a black man and a white woman make 74 cents and 78 cents respectively to a white man's dollar. Black women, faced with multiple forms of oppression, make only 64 cents. Understanding intersectionality is essential to combating the interwoven prejudices that people face in their daily lives. Put it simply, we all have different labels that we can apply to ourselves. Some of them might be ones that make us more privileged in society. Some of them are ones that might make us more oppressed in society. So for example, I'll take myself as a good example. I am a woman, that gives me less power. I'm white, that gives me more power. I would count as SEN if I was at school because I have ADHD. I'm in a heterosexual relationship that gives me more privilege than someone who was in a homosexual relationship. And by looking at these different categories, we can work out and analyse exactly where oppression is happening in different ways and different places. So if we're looking at literature, then we want to consider some of these rather than just saying women in literature maybe we want to look at how that woman's presented maybe there's different metaphorical lenses we can put on our glasses to understand them a bit better so to talk through this a bit more i have got one female writer and one female character. So my writer we're gonna talk about is Charlotte Mew. She of Farmer's Bride fame. 
my episode on her was absolutely brilliant uh, from my perspective anyway i hope you guys liked it and i'm gonna t- just recap so charlotte mew wrote one volume of poetry in her life it was called farmer's bride after her title poem which is in the love and relationship side of the anthology she was a very elusive kind of lady she spent her whole life as a carer for her disabled mum and she never had a partner she never had children she was as openly as one can be in the 19th century lesbian and she had a really strong sense of family so let's consider her different labels and how they might inform stuff about her okay i've mentioned that she was pretty openly lesbian she dressed in a very masculine way everybody who knew her knew that she liked girls but sadly she could not find a girl who liked her back and she had a very lonely life okay so now we know that we can look at the poem farmer's bride and think about it in terms of someone who might have to hide their identity someone who might have to change something about themselves to fit in someone who might be unfulfilled in their love life She's also very middle class. Her dad was an architect. He designed Kensal Green Cemetery in North London. And she had this really like middle class ethos of like a woman shouldn't necessarily have to work. It's one of the great contradictions about her because she was kind of on the fence about wanting to be like a rebellious new woman and wanting to be quite traditional. So again, we've got another conflict. She's writing about farmers, but yeah, I don't know if she ever saw a farm. Really, she might have seen a picture of one. So we know it's an assumed identity. She is a woman and there's a male and female character in the poem. So we would assume the female character is the one that she's creating sympathy for the one that she's making a point about she is a londoner she never actually moved that far from bloomsbury where she grew up so she has a really local identity okay bloomsbury was always part of the big city but it was this really one specific like little corner between um british museum and that sort of block really i was trying to think i was about to say between that hotel i went for afternoon tea in but you guys aren't gonna know where that is so when we're talking about farmer's bride and we're talking about a village and like village life and other people in a little community yeah yeah maybe maybe she can relate to that another label we could apply to her is carer i've mentioned that she cared for her mum her entire life it was her and her sister who cared for the mum and then when her mu- when her sister became ill she was the carer for her sister again if we look at the poem farmer's bride then we have one partner trying to be in a caring role that is the the farmer the narrator he's trying to be caring to his wife but the wife is caring to animals but she isn't caring back to him so because we know charlotte has this role of carer does that make the main character synonymous with her because she wants to be caring and the other person's pulling away from all accounts her mum was a very difficult person to live with um and was apparently a proper snob so i mean it could well be echoes of that she also and i kind of want to lump these two together she's a trauma survivor and also neuroatypical so within her family and um, there was a, a large 
genetic strain, shall we say, I'm not sure if strain's the right word, genetic tendency towards schizophrenia. Her uncle, her brother and one of her sisters were institutionalised for schizophrenia. This is the 19th century, so people don't really understand as much as they do now. We know today that schizophrenia is a manageable condition, you can have medication, you can have therapy, it's all golden. However, 19th century, especially if they're low functioning, they were sent to spend their life in asylums. Apparently they're quite nice asylums, by the way. We're not, we've moved on from the era of like chaining people up and pointing at them. It's all like, you know, like a nice place in the country and you just sort of sit there and think quietly for a little bit. So because she's coming from this place of, she's seen her relatives be taken away from her. She's seen her relatives go through all kinds of health problems, which is traumatic for her. Then maybe we can see her writing within this lens of her being a trauma survivor however she knowing or working out at least that her schizophrenia was genetic if she were to develop it it would be genetic so as a result she decided never to have children okay that was because she went to a bunch of lectures on eugenics because yeah we totally know that's cool but it's the 19th century everyone's into like let's improve the human race but you know sketchy sketchy eugenics and we could argue that her her identity as someone who's neuroatypical informed a lot of the loneliness in her work. So, to be honest, it does make a good point to consider intersectionality when talking about women in literature, because if we want to understand fully what's going on for poor old Charlotte, then we can consider each of these different identities that she has to make a conclusion. Alright, let's consider a fictional woman to see if this still holds up. Why do we need to consider intersectionality when talking about representations of Lady Macbeth? Everyone knows the quote-unquote evil woman. Different identities for Lady Macbeth that we could consider. Well, she's a woman. Okay, we've had this misogynist turn in politics by the time Shakespeare is writing this. Regardless of what Shakespeare thought of women, um, I'd like to say he was alright with it, but then he did ditch his missus in Stratford and go off to have fun in London. He's writing to please James I. And politically and ideologically, James I has brought in this whole thing of like, women shouldn't hold power. They're just not capable of it. So to please the king, he should have written a representation of a woman who was really supportive of her husband, really nurturing. But because she's evil and she's exactly the kind of woman James I doesn't like. So if we make her powerful, we have to make her bad because that will please the king and that will make a point. She's also noble. She must have been a noble woman to marry a nobleman. So we're assuming that this is not your average run-of-the-mill lady in Jacobean times. This is a lady who's been brought up with privilege, with education, with money and pretty things and jewels and dresses and all that she has an experience of power what i'm getting at here she will have grown up in a house knowing power knowing power over servants seeing her parents 
show and demonstrate power. Therefore, if we consider, consider her as a noblewoman, her ambition for power to get the golden round that meta metaphysical aid have granted with all, it's not that it's not that difficult to imagine, is it? Especially when we consider that James I had uh, he had an equally good contender for him being king. I mean, Elizabeth I picked him to be king upon her deathbed, but there's another lady, Arabella Stuart, who was equally as qualified. Her life story is very, very sad, and I recommend you read more about it. But we have an experience of a noblewoman in this character who has power, is not afraid to go for it, and knows her own worth. Let's think about another identity that she has. Wife. So, she will have married Macbeth in an, well, it's Church of Scotland, but Anglican broadly, ceremony. So, she has promised that Macbeth will be head of her household. She's also brought with her a dowry, so uh, the present that the bride's father gives to the new husband. There you go, there's some money to take her off me hands. She has brought a lot into this marriage, but she should, quote unquote, should have acknowledged Macbeth as her spiritual head. I mean, regardless of that, she doesn't. On the other hand, the wife of a noblewoman is kind of expected to be like the understudy. So if he goes away to war, she's sort of expected to step in and make the decisions till he comes back. Therefore, because he's been away fighting all these people in the first scene, bathing in reeking wounds, then she as a wife has had all the power she has been in charge for however long this war has been going on and that's the convention we don't know how old she is i have this private theory that she doesn't have kids because she's too old too but that i mean some scholars have agreed with me if we give her the identity of an older woman she would be expected to like set an example expected to have a daughter-in-law expected to take this kind of senior role and she doesn't have that because she doesn't have the children or the household so that's another way shakespeare's playing with our expectations she should be doing a certain thing if she is an older woman and she isn't so there you go there's intersectional representations of our dear writer miss charlotte mew and the wonderfully potentially evil unsexed lady macbeth who calls upon the dark spirits that attend mortal thoughts Thank you very much for listening. When you are next writing or considering literature, why not think of some intersectional identities and apply them to your own research or writing? Because obviously you research and write as much as I do. Book update. We are 12,000 words through the next one, which is Frankenstein and the Birth of the Gothic. That will be the next series, which I start on once I've done the AMA questions. So we're a third of the way there. There's going to be a new book. How exciting. And believe me, it will be intersectional as FDR8 Talk English on Twitter, straighttalkenglish.co.uk. Buy my books there on Amazon. Search up the full context. Watch my videos there on YouTube. 
tweet me if you want to tweet me let's have a little chat and i'll be back next week talking about shakespeare and answering a wonderful shakespearean question thank you very much Thank you.